Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On July 18th, 11 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Archetype Pizza in downtown York. We heard stories about riding in the car, riding bikes, delayed and missed flights, and stories about surgery and terminal illness. Our winner was Kat, who told a story about spending the first summer of her 20s at Cedar Point Amusement Park. And thank you for visiting Cedar Point, America's roller coast. I heard that phrase a lot in the summer of 1996 when I worked at Cedar Point in the sulfur-smelling Sandusky, Ohio. A very romantic place for all of us, to be sure. And, you know, it was during that summer that I learned about OCing, which is pretty much the worst thing that can happen to someone in food service. It means you're working from open to close. And um, I learned that the only way to survive that kind of a shift is by dating a chef. So that, you know, you can be like, hey, baby, can you slip me a jalapeno popper over here on the side? It's been eight hours since my last meal. <laughs> but, um, but in any event, it was a fantastic summer of 96. I had 19, count them, 19 roommates in a four-bedroom apartment that was, you know, um, company housing. And uh, it was, you know, you got really real at that point, you know, like, go ahead and poop while I'm showering, you know, go ahead and just let me know when you got to go have sex and I'll stay out of the room for a couple of hours, right? But during that time, that was when the Sky Coaster was getting really popular, right? And the Sky Coaster, for those of you who aren't aware, is like, picture the arch in St. Louis, and it's just got these two long steel cords hanging down from the middle of it, and you kind of strap into like a, like a harness, like you're gonna bungee jump, and then they start to just crank this like machine, right? And you flop onto your stomach in this harness, right? And you're with a friend, and they're cranking this machine back up until you get to the very top of this release point where you pull your rip cord and go flying through the air on a pendulum swing. And it's sort of supposed to be a cross between bungee jumping and skydiving and all of the things. And of course, I'm 20, so I'm invincible, right? That's what we all believed, at least back then. And I had a very hot friend. And everybody needs a hot friend, right? The one that's like, you go to the bar and everyone's coming up to her and you're like, your sloppy seconds are people I could never get. So like, I am totally happy to have you here with me. And my hot friend's name was Janet. And Janet, of course, got all the guys. She had multiple, we had to distinguish between her boyfriend's name, Scott, that summer because she was dating multiple Scots. Um, but, you know, attractive people, you know the attractiveness halo theory, that sociology theory that says we are more inclined to believe things that people say when they are hot versus when they're not hot. Janet was very convincing, and she tells me, she's like, you know, the sky custard thing they're putting in, well, it's free for employees so that we can test it out to make sure it's safe. 
which, you know, at the current age of 47, I would never consider. But at 20, I was like, it's free? Hell yeah, man, let's go. So we show up at the Sky Coaster, and I'm looking up at this bitch like, oh, hell no, right? I've already had a couple of cocktails. And Janet's like, it's going to be fine. Like, don't worry. It's all good. I'm like, all right. So we get up to the platform. And of course, all of the people working there are hitting on Janet because she's so hot. So I'm thinking, well, they're not going to hurt the hot chick, right? And I'm riding with her. So we're like there, and we like link arms. And, and, I'm, and, and one of you has to pull the ripcord. And I was like, Jan Janet, I'm not pulling the ripcord. She's like, all right, don't worry. I got us. It's going to be fine. I'm like, all right. So they start cranking us <laughs> up. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't think I can do this. Oh, my God, I don't think I can do this. And Janet goes, hey, Chad, you know I'm, like, super high on muscle relaxers right now. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, and she's pulling the ripcord. And, I, and, and it's like, shh, 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 And I'm like, Janet, Janet! And I'm about to say, don't, I can't, I'm scared, I want to go. And she just goes, and rips that thing. And we go flying. Now, I had been skydiving before. And you're so high when you jump out of the plane, and, the, and the, you're so high off the ground that it doesn't seem like you're getting closer. You're just flying, flying through the air, right? But in this case, you're plummeting towards cement, and you can't feel anything catching you like for at least three seconds, which was the longest three seconds of my life. Janet's laughing maniacally, and I'm just like scared to death. But then we swing, I feel that cord catch, and we swing through, and we like grab our hands together at the top, and we're screaming, you know? And it felt so liberating that I was like, okay, damn, I wanna do with that again. And I realized that the moral of the story in all of this is you can trust your friends even when they're hot and high. Kat earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our second story comes from Jim, who told us about a recent 500-mile charity ride on his beloved bike. The only movie I own uh, debuted in 1979, and it was a uh, movie that featured four high school graduates. It's a coming-of-age, uh, underdog-takes-all movie entitled Breaking Away. And like Mark, it involves cyclists. And the protagonist, uh, Dave Stoller in the movie, if, you've, if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's tremendous. But Dave Stoller's a, a bicyclist, and he owns a Mossy. Now, a Mossy probably means nothing to you, but made in Torino, Italy, and in fire red with chrome forks and a chainstay, it is a beautiful, exquisite, Italian-made bicycle. It is basically the Lamborghini of cycles, except instead of costing 60, 80,000 or whatever it may have cost, it costs less than $1,000. And I too had uh, designs on a Ferrari or Lamborghini, so I went to a guy named Rodney Moseman, doesn't have quite the same cachet as Massi from Torino, Italy, and in fact, Rodney was based in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, but he made bespoke bicycles. He measured you, he made it out of wonderful Italian tubing, and it was a gorgeous bike. And I was a much younger man than today, but my Mosman has served me well. 
Uh, recently, I bought a ticket to ride. It cost me, in terms of dollars, about 500 in a contribution in hotels. And it cost me, in terms of effort, uh, substantially, because I raised about $3,000 uh, for a nonprofit out of New Jersey that I had never heard about until riding with a recent or a newly acquired friend of mine. He told me about this fantastic ride that's 500 miles. And it benefits a home for runaways that was founded about 50 years ago by a then 21-year-old uh, young man who was elected to the Trenton City Council and formed this fantastic uh, home that really took care of people that had nowhere. And of course, that to me was a little bit secondary because I was interested in showing off my 72-year-old legs and showing that I was still good on this Mosman, even though the engine is a little bit more sluggish than it was uh, 40-some years ago when I bought it. But I was all excited and in, and I paid my ticket, and I rode. Now, this ride began in Northampton, Massachusetts. We rode to Lenox, Massachusetts. We went south to Kingston, New York. We went uh, from there to Matamoras, Pennsylvania, to Lebanon, New Jersey, and to Trenton. And I finished this two days ago. So it's recent. Um, I had forgotten until the last 10 miles uh, the significance of this ride. And the last 10 miles, well, but, you know, I mean, we were doing 75, 80 a day. We were doing hard rides up unbelievable hills. Uh, and yet, at the end of every day, you can imagine the satisfaction and the fun and, and all of that. But the last 10 miles, we were escorted into Trenton uh, by a police motorcade, two by two. We were given special shirts to wear in. And along the way, people were cheering for what we had done what they had done with their contributions. We arrived at a mall outside of Trenton, and it was there that I remembered that my friend had told me he had never done this before where he did not have damp eyes. Now, my friend had, this was his 19th year, and about everybody I rode with had done it 10, 15, 30. There were people that had ridden this ride for almost 40 years. And indeed, as we arrived at this mall, they lined us up, and then one by one, we, ran, we went into the mall, down the center aisle between the shops, to thunderous applause, eyes wet, and I finished my ride. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Monet. Monet shared about a health issue she faced during her senior year of college. For context for this story, I am a type 1 diabetic. I was diagnosed at the age of 6, and this is my story. So the year is 2020, and I learned the hard way that life is like having a ticket on an express train. You never know when the hell you're going to get kicked off and when you're coming back on. Um, it's the year 2020. It's my se uh, senior year in college, and, you know, spring semester, getting through it. And I start to have these little black dots show up in my eyesight. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And the spring semester goes on, and these floaters in my eyes continue to get bigger and continue to come consistently. 
Now, COVID is in full effect and it's the summer of 2020. Every time I will tip my head back, blood will start coming in my vision. And now I'm full on panicking. What is happening to me right now? And it is July of 2020 and I go to the doctors, go to the eye doctors, I get checked out. The doc I'm sitting in the room alone, he does his exam, he leaves, comes back in, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, what is this? He comes in, he says, I cannot see in your eye, in your left eye, because it is full of blood. And I'm like, okay, what do we do? So he refers me to another doctor. I go to the doctor and he looks in my eye and he says, you have diabetic retinopathy, so pretty much you're going blind. And I'm a 24-year-old college student. What am I going to do? I have my whole life ahead of me, and I am going blind, not just in both one eye, but in both eyes. So that day, I'm crying in the, in the doctor's chair. I text my friends. I'm like, hey, this is what's happening. If you don't hear from me in the next couple hours, I am about to get laser treatment. My mom's in the parking lot. The doctor calls her, we tell her what's going on. She's crying on the phone. I'm calling my job, telling them I'm not coming in for a week because this is what's happening. And it just continues. And so now we're at the fall semester of my college year. I'm still a senior and I'm like, okay, how am I gonna get through this? I'm blind in one eye, can hardly see out the other. How am I gonna get through senior year? So luckily I had the most amazing support system, my family and my friends helping me through it. And as the fall semester continues on, I tell my teachers, like, I'm getting prepared for eye surgery. My first surgery was October 21st or October 1st of 2020. I email my teachers, my professors, and tell them, hey, I'm going out for eye surgery. I, you know, I need an extension on my due dates and stuff. And I will never forget, and it sticks with me to this day, my one professor, she was a film study professor. She emailed me back, and she said, I don't care when you get your homework in. I want you to be okay. And that stuck with me till this day. So I have my eye surgery, and I remember I had to have homework due. You know, I'm trying to get my work in, and my best friend, one of my best friends, drove 35, 40 minutes from Lancaster, Mount Joy, all the way to come to my house to help me type out my homework. And I said, you know, that was amazing for her to do that. My mom's helping me, my sister, you know, my whole family is helping me, trying to make sure there was times where we're out at night and they're holding my hand, trying to guide me because I can't see. My dad's going around the house putting lights around at night so I can see to make sure I'm okay. And it was just truly amazing to see that people coming together for you in your time of need. And so amazingly, I get through my senior year. I graduated, woo, 2020, <laughs> COVID graduate. Um, I made it through and I really couldn't have done it without the support system that I had, but also without God and without having my faith and praying and continuing every day. And I just wanna say here to each and every one of you, life is like heaven and express 
having a ticket on an express train. You never know when you're going to get on or get off. But no matter what life brings you and no matter what is happening, you get back on that damn train. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return at the end of the season to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York at our Grand Slam. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstorieslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson.